0: decisive victory that led to more victories and more winning more battles, it, it, it showed that there was still a lot more war left, right? Um, if, you, if you know the history, you know what stood between D-Day and V-Day, V-E-Day, uh, victory in Europe, which would come almost a year later in May 8th, I believe, 1945. And for, at that point in time, some of those soldiers got to go home while other soldiers, they literally just turned it and, and went all the way across uh, the globe, halfway across the world to the Pacific Theater and fought there. And the war would not be done for them until September 2nd, 1945, which was VJ Day. And I imagine during that time, during that period, there were soldiers that while they were win- winning many battles. the the, the war was not over. That was very real to them. I bet you during that time they were caught between two worlds, a world of fighting and a world of freedom. Last story. Somewhere around 4 BC, an angel appeared to a teenage girl and told her she was going to have a baby. And this wasn't going to be just any baby boy. This baby boy would be the son of God. The long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the hero of her people. And the angel told her that that her son would sit on the throne of David and that his kingdom would reign forever and ever. And then nine months later, she had that baby boy in a stable. And that had to mess with her, right? That had to... uh, if, if, I'm sure she was thrilled to see her baby, like every newborn mother is. But really, like, is stable? Like, what about that whole throne thing, and the King David talk? What happened to that? And the reality is, for her, it would be a long time before she would realize what God was up through up to through her son, Jesus. And during that time, I feel like she was, probably thought she was caught between two worlds, a world of what God had promised and her current reality. The series is dedicated to anyone who's ever felt caught between two worlds. Anybody who's felt that way before, especially when it comes to faith. Because here's the reality, for many of us, um, I know many of you, I know that your faith means a lot to you, that your faith is an incredible source of goodness and love and peace and joy and justice and light in your life, right? And yet we live in this world full of pain and suffering, injustice, brokenness, Darkness. And it can be difficult to reconcile the two, can it? Like, it, to make sense of it. Have you ever thought about that? It's like, how can I believe all of these good things about a good God, and then this, just we're struck constantly with the disparity between that goodness and that darkness? It can easily feel like we're caught between two worlds, even as people of faith. And um, honestly, I think for many of us, this discrepancy between what God talks about and what's reality has been a stumbling block for a lot of us in faith, right? Uh, some, of us, some of us, like, that has, that's been the thing that's kept us from faith. Or for some of us, we used to have a certain kind of faith, but because of this discrepancy, your faith has changed. It's different. It's not as optimistic as it once was. See, and in this series and in this season, we'll be looking at stories of people. I think this is an important time. And I'm excited for the weeks to come. <clears throat> because in this season, we're going to look at stories of people who were caught between two worlds and they were still able to reconcile their faith. We're going to look at people who, who uh, were wrestling with their faith, but yet were still able to keep their faith. And we're going to do, actually, I'm really excited about this series because we're going to do, we're going to look at stories in a couple different ways. Of course, we're going to look at Bible stories, primarily from the Christmas narrative and the Christmas story. But we're also going to take this opportunity, I'm really excited about this, to show videos of our story. Of starting next week, we're going to have videos of, of people sharing from our congregation, from our town, stories of reconciling, of wrestling with their faith and being able to keep their faith through darkness, through depression, through hard times when things don't make sense. I'm excited for that. Now, you may know, if you're familiar with Bible study, you may know that the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in these Books, if you've never read the Bible and you're interested in, in, in learning more about Jesus, this is a great place to start Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in format in the way the narrative kind of flows and the way they tell their story. John, however, is a little bit different. Um, and we're going to find that today because I want to look at the, the Gospel of John. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We'll have the verses that we're going to look at on the screen, what we're going to find today is John, the Apostle John, John was one of the 12, what we call disciples, that followed Christ for three years of his life, that followed Jesus for three years, and the, John was one of Jesus's right-hand men. Um, we're going to find that John was very much caught between two worlds. If there's ever a guy that was felt caught between two worlds, I, I, I'm going to propose today that John was, was one of them. Now, warning, John's gospel is not all that Christmassy. It's not super Christmassy. In fact, um, for those of you that don't love Christmas and you're like, oh man, Christmas already, don't worry, today's not all that Christmassy, but it's going to, this series will grow in Christmas as we go through the weeks. Um, But uh, yeah, this, this, John was not super Christmassy. He didn't have, he had no manger, he had no star, when he gives his account, no manger, no stars, no shepherds, no wise men. Um, none of that. When John sat down to write his gospel, if you're familiar with the way he writes, it's almost as if instead of talking about the details of Jesus' birth, he skips the details and just dives straight into the significance of Jesus' birth, the significance of the fact that Jesus came and what that meant. To the world, I'm going to dive right in and read this. These verses that these are, we're only going to look at two verses today, and we're going to deep dive in on them. John one four and five. This is John, and, and this is right in the beginning of his gospel. He's starting to describe who Jesus was to him, what, using words to describe this man that this incredible man that he had followed. He says this about Jesus. Jesus, he says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's like, when I think of Jesus, and all the things that I saw him do, and all the the, the amazing things that we we witnessed together, when I think of Jesus, I think of life. A life that's, I think, of light. What's really cool is John at the end of his book, in like chapter 20 or 21, he, he talks about these are just a few of the things that Jesus did. <laughs> I should have put this verse up on the screen, but bear with me here for a second. He's like, these, these are just a few of the things that Jesus did. If I had written down all of the things that Jesus had done, there wouldn't be enough pages in the world. This just scratches the surface, y'all, is what he's saying about what he just talked about in that book. When I think of Jesus, I think of life, he thought he said. I think of light, which honestly, okay, let's be honest. That's what you would expect when you're reading the Bible. Life, light, that kind of thing. But let me tell you why this perspective is so remarkable. This Why it's so remarkable that John, when he thought of Jesus, he thought of life, and he thought of light. Most scholars believe that John was, wrote his gospel last. That out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John was the one that wrote the last. And, and they, because of this, this is a significant detail because in the time that passed between Jesus' death and the time of writing this book that, that John would write, he was probably an old, old man. And during that period, during that, from the time that Jesus died to the time that, that, that he was sat down to write this book, and, and honestly, he was, everywhere he went, people would want to hear the stories. This man had seen incredible things. He had been there when Jesus walked on water. He had been there when he fed the 5,000 people. He had been there to watch countless miracles. He had been there. In fact, John was the only disciple that was present at the crucifixion he's the only one that had the brass to be there (laughs) the rest of them just didn't do it but john did john looked in jesus's eyes as he breathed his last on the cross he held john held his jesus's mother mary who bore him jesus had such a special relationship with john that jesus right as before he was dying looked at John and said, please take care of my mother. And so John was the one that took care of her for the rest of... This is John. I mean, this is, this is his perspective. Everywhere he went, people would ask, what, what, tell me. Just tell, tell me anything. Or No, 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 don't tell me anything. Tell me this story. And I imagine that towards the end of his life, as he's getting older, all of the like, people are begging him, John, you need to write this stuff down. please. Don't leave this world without leaving these stories behind, for us. But see, another thing was happening during this period, as, as John got older, is the, if we know from history, we know from a little bit of biblical history with the book of Acts and a little bit of what was happening with Paul and Peter, we know that there was dark times. We know that from from extra-biblical history, too, that we know from from history that during this period, John had lost nearly all of his friends and all of his family were probably either they died or they were killed. We know from history that Nero, during this time, sent General Vespasian, man, I was working on that word, too, all week, into Galilee. And, and, and as that general rolled into Galilee, he just rolled up city after city, town after town, full of Jewish people, killing thousands and thousands of them and sending thousands and thousands of them into the Roman slave market. John lived through that. He saw that. He was maybe in those towns when it happened. John lived when Rome, when Rome marched on Jerusalem in 70 A.D., And they built a wall and they built a ditch all the way around the city and they locked the inhabitants in there for seven months while they starved and died of disease. And after they were finally able to breach the walls, Rome went in and plundered the place, took everybody captive or put them to the sword. And then they burnt the temple, the holy temple to the ground. The temple, this place where John had grown up as a, Jewish, as a Jewish boy, that was where he spent. If he didn't live in Jerusalem, he was there a couple times a year for festivals, these amazing festivals where people would come together. And there was this beautiful expression of Jewish culture. And now that was gone, wiped clean off the earth. All we have left of it today are the footings that happened in John's lifetime. He was there. When another, where three or four years later, he was in the, he wasn't in Masada, but he was alive, and he was in that area when when Rome would would um, circle up a place called Masada, and a thousand nine hundred and sixty Jewish people would commit suicide together, just out of fear of the impending doom of Rome. More than that, John had lost his his good friend Peter. who was crucified upside down under the hand of Nero. And Paul. And by this point in time in his life, it's possible that he might have been the only disciple still alive. And all of his friends had been killed. See, his homeland was destroyed. His culture had all but evaporated. And with this in mind, you see, see why this is so significant? After all of that, he sits down to write his account of the life of Jesus, and he chooses to use these words. Read them again. Let's read them again, again together. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. That, that Think of his darkness. Imagine the darkness that he had seen. I mean, we can imagine darkness. A few of us, if any of us, could imagine what he had been through and the darkness that he had experienced. And he said the light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not. And I picture John as he was writing this, the darkness has not you pause like what's the word it has not overcome it do you see how john probably felt caught between two worlds even as he's writing this you can hear it and there's light and there's darkness and the darkness is dark but there's light and the light pierces the darkness Can you see how he would be caught between what he believed about God and what he had experienced in life? What he believed about God and love and compassion and justice, right? And juxtaposing that with chaos and bloodshed and murder. How how did John reconcile a God full of light in a world that was so full of darkness? Somehow, in spite of everything, he was able to say, you know, even though everyone had died and everybody had been executed, John was able to say the light shines in the darkness. And honestly, I wish we could have him here today to talk with him. And I think if we did, if, we had, if John was here today and we said, John, how can you say that? How can you believe that? I think John would say something like this, he said, you know, I, I do believe. I believe that things were really bad. I'm not just closing my eyes and plugging my ears and just la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Like, you can't do that after you've experienced what John's experienced, right? He's like, I, I, I know. I, I think if he's here, he'd say, I believe it's really bad. The world is really a dark place. Darkness is real. It just doesn't win. Darkness is potent. But light is more powerful. And it's kind of true in nature, right, too? That like light, do that, that, that you ever re- remember learning this in school? That Darkness is actually not a real thing. It's just the absence of light. <laughs> Have you ever been in a really dark room and lit a candle? and just floods the whole room with light, that little tiny light. That's what John is saying. Darkness is potent, but light is more powerful. Evil is loud. Yes, it's loud but love and light get the last word they get the final say light overcomes the darkness the darkness wails but light prevails he might say darkness is real it's it is right i mean it's in my life it's real in yours it's real in your friends it's real you heard crap this week That was really dark. Because you're part of this world, right? Darkness is real. It's just not going to win. John was able to write this. And and see, here's the thing. John was able to write all of this in the beginning of his book because of what he was able to write in the rest of the book. You know what I mean? It wasn't false hope. It wasn't this... um, pie in the sky dreaming because he's about to tell us one of the things you, you, John would say you know what this life is full of troubles but I remember when I was standing with Jesus and, and he records this in John 16 he says when Jesus said you're right this world is full of troubles but guess what y'all I have overcome the world see John was able to write that light pierces the darkness because he heard Jesus say this. In this world you'll have troubles, but I have overcome the world. And yes, John would say sometimes, I'm sure John felt helpless. Like, like, he wasn't always optimistic. You can't face that much darkness, that, that, that much loss without losing heart, right? I'm sure there were times when, God, when, when John felt helpless, but then he remembered when Jesus pulled his disciples together and he said, you guys, you are the light of the world. And I, I I imagined like when he said the word world, they're like, I'm sorry, what? Like these are, these are, they're, they're a small country, a small facet of this huge organism called the Roman Empire. They like, they're like, Jesus, do you know how big the world is? And I picture Jesus being like, do you know how big the world is? Because I do. (laughs) And I picture Jesus would also say, do you know how powerful light is? You are the light. See, you don't have to just sit and take it. You can fight because you're the light. John remembered that. And see, if you're if you're seeing here and you're thinking, okay, great pep talk. That's that's one you know, like that's cute. Those are you know, catchy sayings and all. But here's the real reason. Do you, do you, do you want to know what I think really fueled John's hope when he was caught between two worlds? It wasn't his teachings. It wasn't even the miracles that Jesus performed. Although those were cool. Do you know what fueled Peter and Paul and Mary? I couldn't resist. (laughs) Do you know what fueled their hope throughout all those years of loss as well? What really fueled his hope is that I watched him die, (laughs) and then I saw a dead man live. That'll change your perspective. That'll mess with you. <laughs> That'll, it, he's like, yes, I watched Jesus Christ crucified on a cross. I was there. I was the only one. And then three days later, I had breakfast with him on a beach. So yeah, I'm not afraid of death. Like there's been a lot of death. I just know that death doesn't get the final say because of the power of the resurrection. And see, for these people, for the first believers, for the eyewitnesses, you have to recognize this, and maybe you've seen this and maybe you didn't notice it, but like when you opened the Bible, they didn't go out after after Jesus' death and resurrection, they didn't go out into the world and like, hey, come on here. Let me tell you a story about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is not mentioned in the book of Acts. Oh, well, come on around. Let me tell you about the time that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. No, nope, they didn't talk about that. They didn't talk about the cool things he did. They didn't talk about him as a good teacher, although he was. What did they talk about? They talked about the resurrection. And they had hope because their lives were not centered on what was happening and the circumstances in their lives which is really easy to do, right? Like, if you had a hard week, you'd probably find yourself kind of dwelling on those things, right? They didn't do that. In their good moments, at least, they were able to center themselves on the power of the resurrection. They were able to center themselves. And see, see when that happens, when Jesus becomes the center of our lives, our lives become a lot more stable. Our lives become a lot more hopeful. Whether we're facing cancer, whether we're facing loss, whether we're at Christmas time, and we don't love Christmas time because it reminds us of all the things we don't have. <laughs> Even though we're looking forward, yeah, I'm going to get this, but I might not ever have really have that. Christmas reminds us of. Who, who's there, right, and who's not there. Who's coming and who's not coming. And in the midst of that season, where we can despair, right, and honestly, it's not any, there's not anything new going on. I think just certain time, certain things get exaggerated at Christmas, don't they? We see things clearer. They sting a little bit more at Christmas, And see, when we center ourselves on the light, on Jesus, on the power of his resurrection, life becomes more stable because he's the mainstay. Death cannot defeat him. We, We find ourselves with more purpose. We find ourselves full of life because there's more to life than just this life. We have life beyond this life. And here's the thing, if, don't, please don't hear me say, like, Christ, like if, to be a Christian just means you just forget everything that's happening in this world and look forward to the next. No, because when you center yourself on that eternal life, it floods this life that we're living in. It just does. As, your, our, as our perspective changes. Here's the truth. I've never seen Jesus You know, I've I've talked with a lot of people, and I've thought this myself, like, my faith would be a lot easier if I could just see him. (laughs) And if you're thinking to yourself, okay, great, 2,000 years ago, a guy thought he saw Jesus, and maybe he believed he actually did, and he wrote about it and found hope in the world. What what about now? What about us? Are we supposed to just take his word for it? And and if that's you, I really am glad you're here this morning in church. I'm really glad you came to church. And can I just say, I've never seen Jesus, but I have felt the power of his resurrection. I've felt it in my own life. Guys, I I know, like, you pick up a microphone and people think a lot more of you. (laughs) It's just, please don't be fooled. Without the power of Christ in my life, you wouldn't want to listen to me. I'd have nothing to say. With, without the power of the resurrection in my life, I, I don't know where I would be. And that's just the truth. And you, you can say, oh, Josh, you're just being hard on yourself. You don't, you don't know my heart. You don't know the things that are naturally in it. You don't know my instinct when my kids tick me off. You don't know what, what's going through my mind and how I would let those things go through my mind if not for Him. You don't know the, the light that he's brought into my life. And maybe you can say the same. A lot of us us in this room can say, we've never seen Jesus, but we felt his power. We've seen, and, and have we not seen him change lives? That's your story. Our lives have been changed in the last three years of this church as we've gotten to know each other. And that's the power of Christ in us. We've seen... We've seen addiction broken. We've seen darkness of depression that darkness pierced with light. We've seen despair. We've seen like like we've seen despair dispelled. We've seen families changed. We've seen restored relationships. So we've seen the power. And if you've never experienced that power, we invite you to come and join us. If you don't believe what we believe, that's fine. Just come walk with us. We'll love you all the same. Because the reality is, is we're between two worlds. All of us are. Every single... If you don't hear anything else from this series, what I'm most excited about is to just encourage us as we struggle. Because when we struggle, sometimes we feel like we're the only ones. Or we're the only ones struggling this way, and it's just not true. We're a people... Who are between two worlds right now. We are a bride waiting for our bridegroom. You know, we're we're not dating anymore, we're kind of engaged, but we're not married, like we're not together with Christ yet. But we will be someday. Though though we're winning battles, we're still waging the war. Well, the war is won because of what Christ did on the cross. That's what we believe. There's still battles that we face. That's what it means to live between two worlds. And I hope that there's some comfort in that for you. I hope that whatever you're struggling with, you can start to see that God might still be with you through that in this series. See, here's the thing. How many of you read raise a hand if you did Advent, if you grew up in church and you did Advent ca- candles. So we're going to do, oh, here's another question. Raise your hand if you grew up in church and you lit prayer candles. Okay, so I, I did the Advent thing, but I never did the prayer, ca- prayer candles things, and I always wanted to. Since, since I'm in charge, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> it's good to be in charge. I've melded the two together. We, we decided we wanted to do Advent. We're in this beautiful place. It's a little bit more of a liturgical place, a place where they do things like Advent every year. And we thought, well, we're in Rome. We'll you know, do like the Romans. We'll, we'll, we'll do Advent. But we decided that instead of having one person, if you're not familiar with Advent, there's four candles. There's one lit every week over the course of four weeks. And each has a significance, and we're not going to delve deep into the significance of the candles, but uh, typically a person comes up and lights the candle and maybe reads the scripture and prays and sits down. I didn't want to do it that way. I want us all to be involved, because here's the deal. The first candle of Advent is the, the candle of hope. And I want to give you a chance today, this is open to anybody who wants to. We have a a wreath back there that has the first candle lit. And after I'm done praying here, the band's gonna come up, we're gonna start singing songs. Anytime during those songs, if you want to light a candle for a prayer of hope for yourself or for someone else, please do. Light it and, and stand it up right there in the center of the wreath. You'll, you'll figure it out once you get up there. Don't burn the place down. We're all adults. So please, if you need hope today, hope is available. Right now, right here. If you need hope in the weeks to come because of what you're facing with Christmas, come to church. We'll have hope here every Sunday. Let's do this together. Let's support one another. Let's center our hearts on light this season. Amen? It's going to be good. It's going to be beautiful. I'm excited for for the stories that we'll tell from the Bible. I'm really excited for the stories that will be told starting next week through the videos and through your, this is our, our congregation, our story. I'm excited to see what God does in your heart during this season as you choose to trust him more and center on him and center on the power of his resurrection and his light. Let's pray.